Hello and welcome back, sex explorers, to second episode of Sexplorations with me, your host, Adelina Adler, the budding sexologist and sex coach here, <laughs> trying to make my way to that certification from the Somatica Institute. That's right. So far, uh, looking a little, little on the poverty side when it comes to any donations, but hopefully I can earn my way up to those big, big dollar bills. So tonight you're joining me on part two on our exploration of shame. And we'll be using Dr. Brene Brown's books, Men, Women, and Worthiness. And we're going to be looking tonight at norms. That's right. We're going to be saying hello to our buddies, the norms. Uh, now, I do want to start with... Uh, from last week, I did ask uh, my listeners and my friends, <laughs> in a lot of cases, um, to share some of their uh, shame with us. And I'm happy to report, I, I don't know if happiness would be <laughs> the right emotion there. It's a little bittersweet. I'm sad that so many of us have shame stories, but I'm glad that you were brave and vulnerable and uh, supportive and took the time to share your experiences with us, my good friends. We've got some experiences here, some sex experiences that I'm going to share with you. Of course, I'm going to keep everything anonymous. I am at most going to be sharing um, gender identity and uh, sexual orientation, just because I think it's kind of nice to see the wide range of uh, experiences. Where are they coming from? So, uh, one of the first, uh, replies we got comes from a female listener, lesbian, and she says, in the past, I shamed my own self for often not being present with the person or people I was with during sex. I fantasize completely about other things a lot, and I feel shame for myself and guilt for actually doing it. I still do occasionally do this, but I feel so much better sexually now than ever, which is a great place to be in. Mm. I resonated with this one personally, because uh, I've definitely done the same thing. I, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be having, I'll be having my sexy times, and in my mind, wow. Guess what? You're a Roman conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Mm, mm. Conquest, yes. This is a whole big game of risk, and this is a political allyship that I am creating here. Sometimes fantasies are fun. What can I say? But we do feel shame, right? We do feel shame because we're taught that, you know, when we're with our partner, you don't want to make them feel like they're not enough, that they're not turning you on. And a lot of times it was never to say that my partner wasn't doing a great job. It's just, man, it's like Facebook filter for your sexy time. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it is a common thing. I, I remember uh, another thing I used to be kicking myself about was even in dreams. If I was in a relationship with somebody and then some temptuous figure came to me in my dreams. It was like, mm, you want to get down? I was like, I can't. I'm with so-and-so. 
I'll never be unfaithful. <laughs> I have since gotten over that. Dreams are spaces that aren't necessarily real. I mean, we can get into cool metaphysical things, uh, but that's for another channel. It's for another time. But it's not, it's not in this present plane, so it's a safe place to be. All right, on to the next one then. Uh, this is our, a, a bisexual male friend of mine shared, I was outed on MySpace because I was young and thought my parents wouldn't get it. My mother freaked out. She grew up in a tiny coastal North Carolina town and despite how open-minded she was, I knew it would be an issue. One we never resolved before she passed. My dad didn't respond immediately, but later that day we were outside and he said, I've known you your whole life. We'd know if you were, insert terms here. Granted, I'm a cis white dude who grew up middle class, but that felt like my folks had simply taped over that aspect of myself, that we weren't going to discuss it, and that it didn't exist. Now, now clarification, my dad and late mom are good people. They were just raised in the boomer mindset that you don't let others know those things about yourself or your family. It's treated shamefully. Even if there's no actual shaming present, just because of that apple pie American tradition that they grew up in. My father is absolutely cool with it now, even though he doesn't quite get it still, especially now that my sister married her wife. But some tiny smidgen of that erasure by them still exists in the back of my mind. To this day, he never met any of the men, trans or non-binary folks I dated. And even though I'm marrying my best friend, a woman this fall, that says nothing or impacts the fact that I'm raging bisexual and always will be, or my partner's pansexuality. Thank you for sharing, friend. And that's another one I, I understand as well, very intimately. I recently uh, made a comment that let my father know a little bit more openly that you know, I was pansexual. And whereas, I mean, in my memory, I, I swore I had told him. Uh, he, uh, he changed the subject. He got a little uncomfortable. I was, I was a little sad about that. Another listener says, a cishet male, straight, says, I have spent a while dealing with that sense of inadequacy because my masculinity has been repeatedly called into question. You aren't a provider. You don't satisfy me. Your kinks are juvenile. And that's been where I've been for the past eight months. Really hyper aware that I'm not enough. I've had a sense of sexual dysmorphia where I can't even imagine myself as sexually or even physically attractive or worth presenting as attractive. Moreover, it makes me hyper aware and obsessive about my kinks because I had a whole post-relationship shame campaign waged against me and my sexual preference is and those kinks. And as it is, I feel really guilty about them. So we see shame infecting us in a lot of our areas, in our minds while we make love, in our sexuality, in our preferences, and who we love, and uh, what we love. It's so sad that we've been made to feel that way about ourselves. I figured I will shame, uh, I will share one of my shame stories as well, if it's only fair. 
y'all shared yours with me. I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian background, of course, and uh, they're big on purity, as some of us know, uh, especially for young girls. We're taught that if you lose your virginity, you lose your purity and you do dishonor to your husband. Um, that was so strong that, oh, content warning, content warning. This, uh, this part does mention rape. <laughs> when I was transgressed against, uh, by one of my first boyfriends, I kept that secret hidden for a very long time. Nobody knew but my pillow, and even my diary had a doctored-up version of events that would be more pleasing to my sensibilities as I fought and struggled to heal that wound within me. I remember that when it happened, the first, first image that came to my head was of that pure white dress, that wedding dress that represented purity just going up in flames. I'm not pure anymore was all I could think. And it was to the point that, you know, when my mother eventually did find out about it and I confessed it, she uh, told me she was disappointed in me. Shame. So much shame. Later on, that shame would return when I became a sexually more liberated young woman with a lover I had. I had written a particularly moving piece about me in respect as, as being a flower and I felt that all my petals were being plucked by these lovers because again my schema of purity and sex was still very strong back then I remember uh, you know what we're gonna we're gonna put his name out there because he was a douche his <laughs> name was Paul I remember him uh reading it and he was like who wants a fucking stem Ooh, ouch what a douchebag <laughs> oh but you see we do there there is that stigma that ties a lot of our value especially women's value to their sexuality and their purity Brené brown in her book says Shame corrodes the part of us that believes we can be better. It's true. It convinces us that we're not enough, that we don't belong because we're flawed and we don't fit in. Shame isolates us from one another and somewhat more tragically, in my opinion, from ourselves. Shame is felt when we fail to fit into what society expects of us, to what people have been taught to expect from one another. And where do these expectations come from? Last episode, we mentioned schemas a lot. But there's another name for that. A name that I think is a little bit more recognizable to a lot of us. Norms. Norms. What is normal? Who gets to decide what our ideas of normal are? Where do we learn these cultural standards? The media, television, the internet. Oh my, there's a whole lot you can find in there. 
Sometimes our religious institutions tell us what's normal and expected. Family, as we grow up, they set the standard as well. They give us examples, what to expect, how we should be. They're our main governing force. Friends, our peers, our buddies as we figure it all out together. School, that's where we spend the good majority of our early formative years in school surrounded by our friends and being taught by our instructors. Now, are these adequate sources? Let's take a look at them uh, individually here. I'm sure we can all agree that a media has ulterior agendas when they're presenting stuff. Of course, it's marketing. It's They're trying to sell and appeal to you. Thus, almost everything they showed you is gilded. It is glamoured. They're unreal representations. You think those Burger King burgers look like that in real life? Hell no. But uh, if it makes you buy it, we gotta make that shit look yummy. <laughs> we gotta make everything look good. <laughs> it's all made to dazzle us. So if we understand this, then why does it color our lens of perception so much? Porn. Think about porn. Guys, this is also made to be marketable. It's There's so much smoke and mirrors in the industry. And I'm not, I am not shitting on porn. I fucking love it. I love the adult industry. Thank you so much. There's a TikToker I follow. Um, she's at... Allison Ray X, so A L I S O N R E Y X, and uh, she makes great content explaining all the behind-the-scenes work of the porn or corn industry, because you know censorship. <laughs> so she does a great job demystifying it and shows you all the scaffolding behind the structure. And I think uh, if you get a chance to download that little that little app, you might as well go ahead and check her out because a lot of what you learn is really eye-opening it's really fun i remember when i uh was doing the naked booth as a project to educate people on the adult industry on the side of strippers and strip clubs and dancing i was doing a lot of work demystifying what people thought went on with us what they thought we we were up to and our agendas are just just so much silliness so much misinformation uh, next, family. Now, family, when it comes to sex, like, you either get silence of very uncomfortable people, especially, I think this is more, uh, more an older generation thing, or, yeah, when we're talking about boomers and the world, or hell, even, even my parents, you know, I'm, uh, technically an elder millennial at this point, I'm 33 years old. <laughs> geriatric millennials i don't know i don't know if that one fits quite yet but even back in my day in my family at least and, and, and i think this tends to be true in more conservative families um which i think you'll find a lot more of in our american society for better or worse they uh they tend to stray away from these uh subjects as inappropriate and if they do talk about it, a lot of their understanding comes from what they were taught and what, and that's kind of like a, 
they learned from their grandparents and their great-grandparents. And historically speaking, we do have a we do have a proclivity in our American culture to have based our ideas of sex and sexuality and sexual propriety and morality on puritanical judeo-christian ideas and uh so you're gonna get a message that is colored or affected or influenced even if your parents aren't even religious a lot of their ideas on what's morally proper sexually does come from religious indoctrination so that's that that's going to be a factor there who else who else do we see friends heck though sometimes our friends are just as ill-informed as us they're they're getting their information from the same (laughs) same sources we're all just trying to figure it out together how many strange myths did you hear growing up about sex how many weird things (laughs) there's a lot I I had no idea. <laughs> but it wasn't accurate. It wasn't the best. Finally, schools. Now, uh, according to the 2014 CDC school health profiles, yeah, it's a bit old now, fewer than half of high schools and only a fifth of middle schools teach all 16 topics recommended by the CDC as essential components of sex education. These topics range from basic information on how HIV and other STDs are transmitted and how to prevent infection to critical communication and decision-making skills. In fact, today, fewer young people report receiving any formal sex education at all. A recent study published by the Guttmacher Institute Guttmacher, sorry, (laughs) found that Fewer teens now than in the past are being exposed to important and timely information about a range of sexual topics. Overall, in from 2011 to 2013, 43% adolescent females and 57% of adolescent males did not receive information about birth control before they had sex for the first time. That's right. It's technically up to the schools, the districts, the states to determine how that's taught. So you're getting a getting a wide range of uh, philosophical (laughs) uh, approaches from abstinence teaching to the more uh, terrifying STD (laughs) ridden talks about sex. And yeah, I mean, most most of the school teaching you're going to get is very clinical. And uh, that makes sense, you know, because ultimately when it comes to, I guess, the ethics and uh, the healthy enjoyment of sex. I'm, I'm not really sure if school is the proper place for that too. But so where do we get this information then? Where do we go to learn about that good good? Where do we go to learn about how to enjoy our bodies? About sexual questions that don't necessarily have to do with strange foul odors emitting from your genitals. <laughs> Where do we learn about all those erogenous zones I mentioned last time? I mean, there is the internet. But, I mean, this is why people like me exist. Huzzah! Shameless self-butt plug. That's right. I am telling you, that's actually, yes, yes. Within the past, let's say, decade, sex coaching has emerged as a, 
a brand new service that that's that's very sought after. It's different than sex therapy because uh, what a sex therapist does is they help you overcome hangups, sexual hangups, and usually related with trauma and uh, kind of not deficiencies, but um, like let's say if you are suffering from really severe uh, problems with your libido and you can't figure it out, you go, you go to a specialist like that. You go to a sex therapist. Whereas sex coaches, intimacy counselors, what we do is teach you to tap in to what you got already and make it better. <laughs> we teach you how to enjoy yourself, enjoy others around you, uh, because there might not be anything clinically wrong with you that needs to be treated or diagnosed like a therapist would. We come at it from the attitude of, darling, we absolutely get it. It's just sometimes a lack of information, a lack of guidance. We're little love gurus. <laughs> so that being said, I hope you will support me in my mission to make this world a sexier place and to help you guys unlock and empower your sexuality and really own it. Really, you own it. You take the reins and have fun with it. That being said, what the fuck even is sex? If we're going to go by norms, if we're going to go by what we've been taught, what we've perceived, I was curious, how, how, how do you define sex? I spent the whole day asking my friends this question, and I got some really interesting answers. One of my answers was, I'm going to start, uh, there's at least one, two, three, four, there's like five, all right, I'm going to start with a little broader definition and then we're gonna go and lead into my favorite one let's do it like that do a little bit of foreplay before we get to the meaty bits <laughs> all right one friend of mine described sex as the physical act of being intimate with another person or people i really liked the fact that they added that multiplicity there person or people thank you for that my polyness thanks you but that brings the question of well what is intimacy what does that entail is every intimate act sexual she does say physical act of being intimate but again it's kind of like defining one nebulous word with another kind of nebulous objective word so let's see if we let's see if we can dive deeper deeper and deeper so many people mentioned uh, penetration and intercourse, um, but also noted that in especially non-heteronormative scenarios, this didn't necessarily fit. They also talked about oral sex and they were like, well, that doesn't necessarily fit in either unless you're thinking about the tongue and the mouth as penetrative. But, you know, that doesn't always happen. Now... My lesbian female friend, <laughs> uh, she says, personally, I consider any genital and anal stimulation to be sex, not necessarily kissing though, or nipple play. 
I view it as safe and consensual pleasure for all involved. We love that. Snaps for consent. As a lesbian, I think sometimes you just feel the difference between foreplay or messing around and having sex. That one, it's hard to explain. More like a feeling than words. For instance, if I was fully clothed fingering a girl while she was, wasn't was stimulating me, that wouldn't feel as much like sex compared to if we were both doing it to each other at the same time or actively switching and taking turns. See, this is interesting here. We're getting a little interesting here. Okay, so one-sided stimulation doesn't feel as much like sex. And... And that's what that's kind of reading like to me. I feel like there is a, there's a mutuality perhaps that needs to be necessary. Hmm. Now I question the foreplay and messing around and having sex. Does that count to you, listener? Hmm. Let's continue. My another friend said. Sex could be a whole bunch of things, honestly. But to me, sex is pleasuring the senses of both participants. Hearing, taste, touch, smell, and psychic. Stimulating all, some or one, to ignite the desire and pleasure in the other. Ooh, this one's emotional. This one's very romantic. I liked this answer. I liked the idea of stimulating on the goal to ignite desire and pleasure in the other. In specific, the ignition of desire, the motivation, things, acts done, particularly with the, with the motivation or intention to ignite desire and pleasure in the other. I say desire and pleasure because just igniting pleasure alone doesn't sex make. I mean, eating cake is pleasurable. You can give someone some cake but that ain't necessarily sexy unless it's done in a way that it is meant to inspire desire as well so i think that's that's a key component there and finally i this is was my favorite response because it's very close to the one i myself have in fact i say it, it is how i define sex as well a final listener said, I would say that sex is the direct or indirect act of shared stimulation of arousal between two or more persons. Dude, bam, that's it. <laughs> like, to me, I feel like that is the most accurate and faithful to all the other definitions as well. Because it has that it, ha it accounts for uh, that direct touching and that, well, let, let's go on. Hold on. Let's go on. There's more to this. Oral sex is sex because a party, oh, because party A is stimulating arousal in person B or both in some positions. Phone sex is sex because indirectly arousing fantasies are being shared between parties. 
Sexting is sexed for the same reason as above. Penetrative sex, whether with digits, genitals, or toys, is sex because of direct arousal to one or more of the parties. Non-penetrative sex is also sex because of similar reasons as above. Orgies, then, are also sex under this category. But pornography isn't uh, necessarily sex because one party is definitely not present in there. <laughs> That's masturbation, I, I think is sexual, but not sex. Video sex, unlike porn, is a shared experience, unlike with video pornography. So that's if you're Zoom calling with somebody and you're doing sexy things from the other side of the monitor screen with them. See, I love this definition because it is so all-encompassing. It, it has that factor, that, that intent of a shared stimulation of arousal. It has the possibility of one or more parties involved, or of two or more parties involved. And it, it does make a distinction of, a, of a masturbation, which is sexual, but I wouldn't argue necessarily sex, because I think sex requires a shared experience. Mm. So... That's that's interesting to me. Um, tell me, do you, do you agree? Do you agree that with this definition of, of sex that I've provided, that, well, our listener has provided and I have so graciously agreed with? <laughs> Go ahead and uh, comment below and let me know if that one rocks your boat as well. Mm -hmm. So... With that in mind, with our new wonderful definition in mind, I'm going to repeat it one more time. The direct or indirect, <laughs> the direct or indirect act of shared stimulation of arousal between two or more persons. What's normal sex? I hear the term vanilla uttered a lot, especially, uh, when uh, juxtaposed to kink and fetish lifestyles. When we talk about vanilla, what, what does that mean to you? I can tell you that for me, in my experience, it usually denotes uh, heterosexual, missionary, penetrative sex. People think about that, you know. They say run-of-the-mill. They sometimes equate vanilla with boring sex. I'm telling you. Vanilla's a delicious flavor as well, honey. That's a yummy. You can put sprinkles on that. <laughs> uh, but it gets you thinking. Is anything that deviates... Like, when does sex start getting deviant for you? I've had partners who go, mm, I'm into freaky shit. I'm like, oh, do tell. What kind of freaky shit? And they'll be like, oh, girl, they're like... Biting and scratching in a spickety spank or two. And I'm like, mm, interesting. Yes, I can see. I can see that that... Mm, strange. Because in my world, that's normal. <laughs> see, our, our, so again, our respective experiences and ideas where we come from is, are, are so different. That what is even... What is normal even? Where is it? Where do you draw your lines of normal? What is normal sex for you? What starts, what do you consider abnormal sex? 
when does it start getting pushing boundaries and explorative? Share that with me. Send me an email at askaddyadler at gmail.com. Again, that is A-S-K-A-D-D-Y-A-D-L-E-R at gmail.com. Let me know. Let's have some fun with this. I want to ask you a final question tonight because I think it's a fun mental exercise here. What, when does sex begin and end for you? Does sex end when somebody comes? Does sex end with an orgasm? Whether it be all parties orgasming or just one. In your life, is that when sex usually ends? Somebody has their mind blowing. (laughs) And then you roll on over. Take a little glass of water. Go let out that fart you've been holding in for like 30 minutes. (laughs) Uh, The reason I ask this is because I don't want us to get locked up in the myth of goal-oriented sex. Now, what do I mean by that? Goal-oriented sex. When you think that the totality of the sexual experience is tantamount to whether or not someone comes or someone orgasms, you create a goalpost. What this does is in turn increase the odds of performance anxiety. I realize that I've had some partners who, with which this is the case, I can tell they're concerned. They're concerned because they can tell they're getting tired. They're like, oh my goodness, has she done it yet? Am I going to be able to do it yet? You become worried about reaching the goal and you lose the moment. You lose the feeling of being with the other. You're no longer thinking, dang, I am loving this moment. I love the feeling of this person with me and how they make my body feel. You're worried about that end goal. You're worried about, am I doing this right? And those thoughts of shame can start creeping in. You start thinking about that time so-and-so told you, man, you take forever. Or, damn, you don't take long enough. You start worrying a little too much. Think about that time your lover rolled over in disappointment and diddled themselves angrily. (laughs) And, uh... That's because you have a goal orient in mind. You're trying to shoot for something you don't need to be shooting at. Let me give you a little bit of a little nugget of gold here. Sex is play. Sometimes it's a game with rules and a goal, but not always. Coming orgasm is wonderful. It's spectacular, but it's not a requirement for sex. In fact, I wager that thinking of sex as a vehicle just for orgasm can be as toxic as thinking of sex as just a vehicle for reproduction. 
Why do we restrict ourselves to that definition of what sex is? So then what are some solutions? What can we do? Uh, I was reading a, I was reading a magazine by Sex Coach U, the other institute I wanted, but they're like $15,000, so let's not. <laughs> um, and their solution was mindfulness. And I can't, I'm, I'm so torn on that, on that phrase because it's just part of that, that whole wellness culture thing. I, I like to use the term awareness, bringing your focus into the now. And uh, they suggest doing this through breathing exercises or tuning into your body. Uh, I do suggest this as well. Take a moment and just breathe with your partner. This is an exercise, curiously enough, also mentioned in my book on sex magic. There is a whole tantric exercise about straddling your partner and just breathing in and out together, taking in their exhalations and vice versa, and then really keying in to what your body is feeling right now. You can even do this on outside of the bedroom just to get your body used to it. Um, they say practice sensory awareness uh, with your partner. Like throughout the day, be like, hey, describe what you're feeling right now on your skin. And they can say, oh, I feel the chill of the air from the AC right now, making my hair stand on end, things like that. It really tunes you in. It teaches you to listen to your body and block out everything else, all those other voices in your head. It's meditative is what it is. It's definitely a practice in mutual meditation. Some other um, solutions that I'm going to put out there from my own experiences. I encourage you to just enjoy one another's bodies. Have sexual sessions with one another where on purpose you don't come. Body map. Touch everything except the genitals if you want. Heck, bring in some, bring in some accoutrement into play. Grab that blindfold, that little bandana, that mask you got left over from COVID and strap it over your eyeballs. Grab some ice cubes, maybe some hot wax. Do some sensory play. Really learn the body of your partner and just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. That's it. Maybe stop after 10 minutes, stop after five. You can time yourself if you want. You don't have to. Idly, aimlessly, sexually touch one another throughout the day. Put genitals in your mouths just for a little bit. Just for fun. Enjoy each other. It doesn't have to end when someone climaxes. It doesn't even have to be about the climax. Just play. Just enjoy. Dismantle the idea that sex has to be a certain way. Play around with those things. See how it feels. Hopefully, uh, it'll help you detach from that goal-oriented mindset and get rid of some performance anxiety. No matter what, guys, it's about feeling good.
And if you're feeling good, chances are they're probably feeling good too. You can always check in. You can always ask, hey, how's that feel? That shit's kinky. People like that communication's hot. (laughs) But yeah. Remember, the objective is the same in the words of that wonderful song, to please and entertain. Ultimately, guys, we're trying to make each other feel nice. So embrace that. Embrace that side of pleasure. Just like my little buddy above said. Inciting pleasure in one another. In all the senses. Have fun with that. (laughs) I hope I helped you out today, guys. We learned something new next time. I'm going to explore, we're going to explore relationships and normacy. We're going to look at what is normal relationship structure to you. Mm -hmm. And what are the myths we've told ourselves about being in relationships? That's going to be a fun one. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what your stories are. What do you think a normal relationship looks and feels like? What are your thoughts on uh, what you may see as an orthodox relationships? Would you be able to be in one? In consensual, non-monogamous relationships, for example. Hmm. Let me know. Give me a comment down below, wherever you are. YouTube, Facebook, whichever. Or drop me a line. Again. That nice little email address is askaddyadler at gmail.com. Ask, A-S-K, Addy, A-D-D-Y, Adler, A-D-L-E-R, at gmail.com. And as you can see, I uh, decided this is going to be a weekly show on Thursdays. I know I was going to talk about it on Tuesdays, but you know what? I decided to be smart. I decided to say, hey, if I want patrons on my Patreon, which, oh, hey, by the way, I've got a Patreon. Go see me at Sexplorations on Patreon. (laughs) But yeah, if I want um, patrons on Patreon, I might as well give a pretty delicious little incentive. And I figure that opening up the live Q&A is uh, a great way to get people to subscribe. Please, if you can, guys, if you can afford it, the tiers are pretty inexpensive. They start at $5 a month. They just go all the way to 25 If you can, if you can spare it, this is my dream. This is my career I'm trying to do and build up towards. This is my goal, my dream. So uh, if you can, stop on by there and uh, subscribe to me. <laughs> Subscribe to Sexplorations and make the world a sexier place to be. See, eventually, if you fund me, I could pay someone to do that on Fiverr for me. (laughs) Um, Or if you don't have a Patreon or if you don't want to make a commitment, because baby, I understand. Commitments can be a lot to ask for. Let's have a little one night. One night triste, you and I then. You can pop me up on a cash app. Hashtag Adelina Adler. That is A D E L 
A-D-L-E-R-I-N-A. Adelina Adler. A-D-L-E-R. On Cash App. Please give me them sweet, sweet dollar bills. And help me make this dream a reality with you. Also, if you do need help or if you want to talk to me about your sexual journey, you can most certainly contact me as well at that email. I actually have had a few people already come up out of the woodwork. And that's, guys, that is so exciting to me. That is so validating. I appreciate you. Until next time, guys, I will see you then. Have that food for thought. Tell me if the aimless sexual pleasure exercises are working for you, what you're struggling with, if there are any struggles there. Uh, I'd love to hear from it. All right, guys. Until next time, you guys have a good night and happy exploring. <laughs>